can you speak to some of the tools that have been used within the ceremonies that you've participated in that kind of helped this entanglement? It's a particularly interesting one in the world I come from because there's like a very specific sort of strict and rigid. In fact, people who've been to sort of other looser ceremonies often are put off by it. A very particular way in which people are supposed to move physically through the space. So there's a fire at the center. And just imagine for a moment that you have sort of a, a cable from your belt buckle to the fire. Okay. And a big circle around this fire. Just consider everyone has this cable, right? So if anyone walks across someone else, they've crossed a cable, right? Now cables are crossed. Everything has to be unwound properly the way it was wound. So you can't go off to your left and around the circle and back the other way. Everything is that particularly policed, essentially. When you're in a room of people who everyone understands, it's no one ever says a word about it. So you could go somewhere where everyone understands how to move in the space and never even notice that it's happening. If you go somewhere where people don't know, then someone might be sort of making sure everything's clean, right? But people don't cross physical paths. So this is the level of uh, attention to detail in terms of entanglement. Like this is how seriously it's taken in that setting. If someone crosses someone else's path, we make sure they uncross in the same way, essentially. An individual doesn't want to get tangled with themselves. So if I stand up right here, just visualize the cord from my belt to the fire. If I stand up, I go somewhere and I come back and I sit the other way. Right, so imagine the cord is now around my own waist. That will be undone. Stand up, turn around, sit back down. It's not to say this is right or wrong. The only way to do it, there's plenty of ways to avoid not being entangled, right? But this is the level of seriousness that is treated with in this particular ceremony. I will have to stand myself up and unwind myself and sit back down just so that I'm not tangling up my own flow. Then there's instruments. There's other things in the room. There's instruments. There's medicine, for example. If the medicine is somewhere you never cross in front of it, your rope can't tangle up that, right? So if someone wants to cross and medicine's being used by someone, it has to be moved out of the way. A path has to be created. This is the level of attention to detail around entanglement. We want nothing entangled, even if it's harmless. We're not even, it's not even to say this is harmful if this is entangled. I think the notion is we're open to the idea that it's not even harmful to be entangled yet. Our common sense says you go that far, you make sure nothing is entangled. You don't walk in front of an instrument. If you need to pass and there's an instrument, you move it out of the way. You come on the other side of it. You don't tangle with it. Medicine doesn't tangle with it. Now, there's instruments and medicine, et cetera. They move side to side throughout in the circle. If someone goes outside for some reason, which very rarely is any reason that that should happen, but if for some reason someone's outside, the medicine can't cross an empty space. So everything stops. We'll wait until they come back because we don't want things crossing the wrong way. And this is just, I'm only talking on the physical plane because it's the easiest example of how seriously entanglement is treated, if that makes sense. So if, someone, if someone's missing from their seat, instruments can't cross that seat. We will sit here and we will wait. It doesn't matter how long, I don't know where they went. We will sit and wait until they get back because we're not ruining the flow. The flow needs to be crystal clean and we're not willing to risk it. It's not even to say that there's a problem. We are unwilling to risk any entanglement. So we'll wait, they'll sit down, and then the, then the things can continue moving. That's the strictest form of entanglement um, protection I've seen. Although when I go to other ceremonies and pay attention, they are do employing their own as well. 
once you see this stuff and start paying attention to it, you see it everywhere. You'd be shocked. It's like they're using their own ways of doing things. It's less obvious, maybe, but it's being used. And it's just an example of how even on the physical plane, right? We, we can go layers and layers and layers deeper of how we avoid entanglement in the spiritual plane, etc. But we bring it all the way even down to the physical where like you do not want any two people being entangled. You don't want any objects and people being entangled. You want everything as clean as you can possibly do it. And being obnoxiously strict about it is the safest way. Yeah, and there's a beautiful lesson in there that is probably lost on most of us. The idea is if you can pay such attention to some of these uh, physical entanglements, it helps to run that process on a psychological level for ourselves, meaning we don't even recognize how twisted up and knotted up we are psychologically speaking, even if we forego the kind of energetic body and everything that comes with that and the importance of that. But on a psychological level, if we can employ this type of attention to detail in our physical spaces, right, then we can apply that internally to our psychological spaces. If we can't even pick it up on a physical level, good luck doing it psychologically. It's a lesson that we all should come to learn. But it's a tough one because we're just used to setting a goal and kind of running at it. Again, it's this Western upbringing to a degree that really doesn't put any value on energy and uh, definitely little value on anything beyond the gross senses, right? That this isn't taught to us. We don't have any ancestral wisdom that's coming down the pipeline to show us and help us with these very, very important awarenesses. And we're making a mess of ourselves internally on a psychological plane, right? And we're not necessarily, as we identified previously, willing to even see the depth of the mess because it's very easy to look away. We make it a very active process to kind of run away from ourselves. We create in the external plane a model and a representation of how we are and who we are internally. So if I'm all knotted up internally, right, I'm not going to create any straight lines out here in this physical place. So now I'm making a mess out there by avoiding what's going on in here. And now we have a cascading problem. So let's untangle it together, right? So now we just talked about uh, entanglement and we talked about how uh, easy it is to get tangled up, especially when we're not paying attention to maybe some of the finer energies that we are a component of and we end up making a mess. So in a ceremonial setting, we're going to head it off at the past. We're going to preclude the entanglement from even occurring because you have mindful individuals that have worked in this space for a long time that are taking care of the space, observing and making sure that they keep a clean ceremony running. You mentioned some other tools that are used also, not only from the standpoint of entanglement, but from the standpoint of helping us not look away, right? To really kind of bring us to see what it is that we came here to see. How were some of these other tools deployed and for what ends? Good question. So um, that ceremony is the one I know best. So I will talk specifically to some of those tools that I know the best. Although I, every ceremony I've been to with indigenous people in any continent, even there's some set of tools that do more or less the same thing in their own flavor. Um, in this particular ceremony, the intention is group oriented, right? So one of the, I think it makes this ceremony unique is that sort of the idea is to harvest the potential of the individuals that are present and aim it at one particular thing. So whereas I've been to more individual healing ceremonies, which has its complete wonderful use case 
side from this where you go and it's about sort of fixing your own health issues, almost a doctor patient even sometimes, or just even self-exploration. So more of a spiritual type of just go inside and figure out what's going on here. Sort of the function of this ceremony, although it also does do that, kind of the way it does that is by not looking at you, but trying to harvest your potential as a human and aim it at a task, right? So maybe it's, you have a daughter and she's um, in some trouble with her friends. I don't know. She's having a rough time in life. She's in a bout of depression and you're a community member and we know that your daughter's going through this tough time. Maybe we'll call a ceremony on behalf of her to try and clean up the issues going on for her in her life, make the path forward cleaner, easier, let her get out of the rut she's in, okay? So we harvest all of these people and their potential and their spiritual potential, essentially, and we're going to use the group to attack this problem, okay? But everyone has their own problems. Jim owes back taxes, Tom was fired, Susie just got divorced, etc. Human problems. And everyone's coming in this space and we're trying to harvest the best of these people to attack a specific golden night. We're not dealing with each of the problems. There's a way in which each of their own individual problems can get taken care of in there too but it's not the primary purpose of our collective group, okay? So tools, for example, in that setting, we use a drum that has a very particular purpose. It's a water drum, so it's half full of water, and it, not to get on the science side of it, because it's silly, but it's sort of designed to create a certain frequency that acts kind of as a tuning fork for the entire space. So essentially, when everyone comes in there with their own baggage in the beginning of the night, we sort of use this drum sort of to punch through all the individualists. Everyone comes in as individuals and we're going to thump them. We're going to tune everyone with a tuning fork, essentially, to the same frequency. And sometimes it takes four hours, sometimes it takes six hours, sometimes it takes five minutes. We're going to thump this thing until, whether they want to or not, everyone gets tuned to the same frequency. And this is usually the most challenging part of the night. Everyone needs some medicine in the beginning and we start thumping. So it's like a harmonic calibration of sorts. That's one way I think of it. Maybe I just have sort of a Western mind view on it. But to me, it's like we are going to, and when I worked for this guy, I was often drumming. So you could feel sort of the sense of what you're doing with it in a different way when you're doing it. And I am just going to thump through the thick, dense, individualist muck essentially, until I tune the entire room to this frequency. I'm going to thump it. Thump, 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 until everyone gets there. And the first time you hear this thing, you'll be like, I don't get it. Like people, I've seen people come to ceremonies and like the whole first half of the night, they're like, this is literal torture. I mean, it's just torture, this thing. Will they stop hitting this thing? And in the morning, you see them, they're just, they're dancing to it. They're just become it because it's a tool. It's not an instrument. It is a tool. It's part of the toolbox that comes with that ceremony and it has a function and it will bust people through this individualist thing, whether they want to or not. I think it's a perfect example of a tool. Like we were saying, it's like there's tools that are essential, right? It, this drum, I mean, good luck fighting it all night. I, that's all I can say. Good luck. I've seen people try. I've never seen anyone win, but you know, I've seen people try. And to me, that is a tool. It is a tool. Now, the counterpart of that tool is a gourd. A gourd with stones in it and you know you shake it the stones go sort of around kick off the walls and make a, a noise the drummer goes from person to person to person to person to person and the person is the singer there are certain songs that go with this and the songs historically have no language in them although this is a perfect example of a modern phenomena where 
in the last however long, words are becoming more common in the songs, which the way I was taught engages the mind when there's words. For sure. It creates thoughts and ideas about the words, which is precisely opposite of what the songs are originally intended to do, which were just frequency patterns. No ideas attached to them. I hate being the grumpy guy. Like the way I was taught was there's no words in them. And, you know, I go to ceremonies now and every song has words in them and everyone's thinking about stuff. And to me, that's a watering down of a tool. That was a tool that created frequency patterns that everyone could elect to join in on because you start to know the songs, right? And we've now, you know, it's just such a subtle, not a big deal. The songs are still beautiful. Like, right. be but it is a big deal. I feel that way. I don't want to, I hate being a bad guy, but that's how I feel about it, right? It's a tool that's sort of watered down. Just one little bit, okay? But the gourd goes person to person. And the notion is that we're going to create this heartbeat with the drum and we're going to tune the entire space to it. And we're going to go person to person to person. And this gourd is the mind, right? The stones kicking around in the gourd. This is the thoughts in the mind, the individual stuff. I'm going to try and match them with this drum. It's the heartbeat. And I'm going to try and get them to rope the mind into harmony with the drum. And once we rope them in, they get, you know, whatever, they sing their bit, rope them in, rope their mind into it. So now we're getting the hearts of everyone tuned to one thing. And we're trying to pull the minds individually one at a time because they're all in a different play, right? The hearts, whatever, we can tune it with a tuning fork. The minds, we need to pull each one individually into tune with this drum. And I go person to person to person, pulling it in, pulling it in, pulling it in, pulling it in. And in the early part of the night, this is extremely challenging. It's just, we are all over the place. You, you really can feel how hard it is before midnight, for example. It's just, sometimes it's really difficult. It's sludge. People are a mess. People have their own crap. And, and you're just pulling mind one at a time, pulling the mind onto this frequency, pulling the mind onto this frequency, pulling the mind onto this frequency. And at a certain point, the medicine starts coming along underneath the surface and Hopefully you can bust through where now we get everyone in line. They're tuned to this drum beat and we've pulled each mind individually on, on the same wavelength. And now we are capable of accomplishing things as a group that we were not capable of accomplishing prior to. So this original goal was, I guess your daughter was depressed. We want to fix that or do our best, right? Make a prayer on her behalf send her out here with some of the obstacles in her way removed. You've now created a space where you have a whole room of people and their potential capacity as individuals tuned to the same frequency and pulled their minds in on it too. And now we can, like a bow and arrow, we can take a shot. Doesn't mean we fix everything. Doesn't mean we're amazing. You know, we've used the tools to harvest the potential of the group. The tools are tools. Right? They, they look like instruments if you're a Westerner or however. And at the same time as doing all this, we've kept, we've policed entanglements incredibly finely, like I said before. So these are just, it's just an example of how it doesn't matter what we wanted to do when we came in there, what our minds tried to do, right? The tools were designed to bust through it anyway. And I've been to ayahuasca ceremonies in Colombia or elsewhere where they use different tools where they... I've seen harmonicas and guitars and the leaves and the all sorts of ways that they manipulate time space to tune people to frequencies or to create a energetic situation where there's certain things that are possible without that energetic situation, right? And it boils down to tools. And my obsession with tools is that I don't know how to do any of this stuff without them. 
And I know more than most Westerners about this stuff. Not that I know everything. I'm not claiming that. I, you know, I'm, I'm no expert. I just know about this stuff because I spend time around it. And I have no clue how to do any of it without the tools. So when I see their ceremonies and tools are being sort of at the wayside, it's like, well, then how do you do it? How do you accomplish the stuff? Don't get me wrong. I believe the medicine taught these tools, right? And I believe that it will always be available that way. But in the meantime, there's collateral damage in the sense that there's people going to ceremonies, tools are not being employed, and there's collateral damage in the meantime. Every one of these tools came from the medicine and is still in there. The medicine will show it to someone again. They're not going to, I don't think any of this is going to die. That's not my concern. My concern is that people right now, for example, Netflix puts out a documentary on plant medicines. One hand, I think that's wonderful. On the other hand, I'm, ugh, it's something eats me about it because it's not the same thing to go without the tools being employed. Right. So I hope people are going to the right, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not the judge of what's right and what's wrong. It's just, there's a whole body of wisdom that's way over my pay grade that I've observed work. And I know it creates a situation that's really ideal. Things can still go wrong. Things can still go right in the other version, but I know that these conditions are ideal. And it just, it's scary a little that we now come from a society, like I said before, we're very fascinated with the medicine and not so fascinated with the tools, not because we're not fascinated with the tools, but because we have no idea that they're tools. Right. We don't even know that they're tools. Like the drum is an instrument in our culture. Right. I'm only speaking of it as a tool now, right? If someone knew that was a tool, they might be like, wait a second, I want to pay a little more attention to this thing. So our fascination with medicine, I'm fascinated with medicine. So I'm not, I'm not putting that down. To me, the medicine's fascinating in and of itself. I just want, and part of why I wanted to talk with you about this was just like, I want there also to be a fascination with the tools because there's a whole body of physics. People today call it magic. I think of it as just physics that our physics doesn't know about yet. Because that's what it is. It's just physics. But there's a whole body of physics that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years that people know that people, you can go to Northern Canada and you can go to Southern Brazil and you'll notice that the indigenous people in either place somehow happen to employ the same piece of physics without ever talking to each other. They stumbled upon the same reality of physics and have tools. And I just want people to be a aware that this, these are tools, that this is like ancient body of physics and approach ceremony and medicine with equal fascination in the medicine and the tools that accompany it and the ceremony that accompanies, even what ceremony is. The fact that it's an actual thing, it's, it has its own, a life of its own, a ceremony. And that's the challenge because we've isolated the medicine for, you know, the scientists to understand, or at least try to understand what's going on here, right? We isolate the medicine from the ceremony. And as you have identified, the ceremony itself has certain protocols that are in place for very specific reasons. There are tools that are part of that ceremony that also have this, you know, calibrating effect. And by isolating the medicine to try to understand it, we're kind of missing the big picture, but we'll get there. Like we'll get there. We have to start somewhere and we don't necessarily have the means to measure some of the output and some of the quantifiable data that some of these tools and ceremonies bring to the table because we just don't have a way to measure it. So we almost neglect it to a degree by not understanding it because it transcends not only our senses, but transcends the toolbox that we are kind of working with at this moment. But I, I agree that that will change and we have to kind of start somewhere. And here we are starting 
but just understand that by isolating the medicine, we are not necessarily taking into account the grander understanding of what's at play and how the healing happens and how the visions happen. And we're in this kind of little in-between phase, even if you could call it that, because I don't even think we're at the starting gates yet, really. But for the sake of this conversation, there's more to the story than just the medicine. So if you're listening to this, Please, you know, be, be mindful of the space you're getting yourself into. And there is information out there. Do your research and get familiar with some of the traditional ways in which these medicines were offered. As you've had the opportunity, right, to witness some of this firsthand and as it informs your own kind of personal journey through the space, if you were going to present any piece of advice for anyone that's listening in terms of how they approach their entry into this world, what would it be? Is there something you would caution for, caution against? Is there anything kind of central to your perspective that really wants to be shared with whoever's listening? I do first want to acknowledge the fact that the way I got into this, it was dumb luck that I entered the way I did. There was nothing I had no, I would have walked right into the worst room in the, in the castle if it was available. I, I had no sense of what I was doing at the time that I just happened to stumble upon someone who, in my opinion, in retrospect, had a very wise and clean way of operating medicine. Completely lucky. I had no sense of anything ahead of time. The, the only thing I can say is just be aware just be aware, like even the stuff we talked about. I mean, like the multidimensional common sense remark that we made before in sort of that conversation. There's a whole world of stuff that we're unaware of. You don't need to be aware of it to dip your toes. You just need to be aware that there's stuff you're unaware of. You know, we say like, know who you're doing it with. How much can you even know? I, I, I've even struggled with this. I, you know, I hear there's a ceremony going on. What do I do? Look at his credentials? I mean, right. there's only so much you can do. But if you're aware... I hate sounding negative, but it's not all good. Like the medicine has incredible potential, but it's not automatically all good. You know, unfortunate stuff happens. You need to pay close attention to the details. If you get somewhere and something's rubbing you the wrong way, probably walk away. And paying attention to the details is so challenging too, right? Because we're trying to pay attention to the details using our intellect, but that's the last tool that we probably want to deploy in these settings. You know, to your point, it's like, there's no Yelp for this. As much research as I do, I really don't know what I'm going to get myself into. And when I do find myself in this space, it's important to understand that as you've identified, knowing that I don't know allows me to play the game as a student. And when I do that, I'm more open to receive information, multi-sensory kind of information. And in that way, I can get a little closer to that gut feeling, that instinctual wisdom that will tell me if I'm in the right place or not the right place. But if I come in from a sense of knowing where I think I know what I'm looking for right away, I'm kind of caught and I'm going to have a very hard time discerning whether this is the right room for me or not. So it's almost surrendering the intellect to a degree to be able to feel our way through this space. But if we go at it using our mind or some of the you know tools that we've been empowered with from kind of a Western upbringing, we're liable to miss the point entirely and make more of a mess of the situation that we're trying to clean up. I think that's right. And I think um, you know just exercising some degree of caution, maybe erring to the side of 
maybe I made this story up about this, but I don't need to do this here today. You know, you know, erring on the side of caution is not the end of the world. On the flip side, I'm totally open to the idea that unbelievable things can happen anytime you're, you're dealing with this stuff. And, and it'd be a shame to miss out on that. So you've got to exercise your own judgment. I think one tool set that I can maybe offer, you know, just what I said before, which is know where you end and someone else begins and everything shits and everything eats. Right. If you just even have this principle, you can go to some ceremony where all sorts of wacky stuff is happening and just not eat other people's shit. It sounds easier than it may be, but like if you're just aware of the fact that I don't want to get involved in this guy's saga, if you just know that and you don't show up and watch him and dig in and get all involved and that's a layer of protection, right? You can enter. I feel like I have some basic tools and now believe me, there's places I would get run over by the stuff going on. And I know that, but in a general Western ceremonial type of space, I have a basic sense of how to shut the door on everything else going on, not eat it, know where I end, not vomit all over everyone else either. And for the most part, and believe me, I don't say this with 100% conviction, I know there's situations where I'll get run right over, but generally I can go to things with awareness of how to just not eat it. And I think for a new person, if they are aware of this concept just generally, they have no skills in it, no anything, but even just being aware of the concept that you're going to a space where multidimensional vomiting is happening and you aren't going with your mouth wide open. Yeah. That's a big start. Yeah. If you just understand there's, there's multidimensional vomiting and don't eat everything you see, this is not a buffet. Just sort of show up, keep your world shut, careful what you look at. Don't be staring at stuff that you don't want to take on. Mind your own business, do your own work. And I don't mean that in like a neurotic way either in a cautious, responsible way. If you're aware that that exists, you're at a far less risk of accidentally showing up in the wrong place and gobbling up a whole bunch of other people's stuff and leaving more confused than you were when you came. It's hard to understand, especially with a Western upbringing, right? It's really hard to understand. It's like I get you intellectually, but I don't necessarily know that I could deploy that in a practical fashion, especially when I get into this funky room where there's so much multi-sensory action going on. It's all kind of getting my attention, especially the first time around. It's very hard to disengage because we eat with all of the senses, right? And it's like, I hear you, but it's hard to do. And so that's why often maybe we could kind of like shift the conversation to the difference between a group ceremony and doing my own healing on a kind of one-on-one, -on -one, me on me type of setting where maybe some of that has to go down first before I walk into one of these group settings, because these group settings are available to people, right? For different medicines, right, are practiced differently. And for efficiency's sake, we have larger circles that exist to do larger volumes of healing. But if you're going in there as a novice without the awareness of the possibility of energetic entanglement and all of these other factors, then, you know, there is a greater degree of risk, right? So when we talk about matters like intuition and instinct, that's foreign to a lot of people. Like we could all look back and say, oh, I've had a gut feeling before. I know what that feels like, but I don't know how to tap into that. And that's not my default mode. That's not my kind of regular state of being. It was this one-off moment where I felt my gut 
offer up some data that was valuable to me in that moment, but that only happened one time. Otherwise, I'm, I'm very much kind of, you know, this goal oriented linear thinker and that's how I know how to function. So maybe for those individuals, right, we have other medicines. We look historically and the shaman would eat the medicine. You wouldn't eat the medicine. You would be in the room with the shaman. The shaman eats the medicine, gets a read and feel on what's going on and is able to provide you with your prescription that you would kind of take and deploy whenever you're ready. Um, the curiosity around it all got to the point where the shaman would serve the medicine and eat the medicine with you. And then we would do this kind of in tandem. And then, you know, the curiosity percolates still and then it leaves its indigenous setting. And now individuals are consuming the medicine on their own. And so we've had this kind of game of telephone start to be played. It's not what it was, but it still has value. And we're missing some of the pieces, but ultimately maybe we can get a handle on it working with these tools on our own in a, in a safe fashion, following certain kind of protocols. But from a clinical standpoint, we see psilocybin being administered where there are, you know, two practitioners in the room, a male and a female, and they're overlooking the one individual, the traveler who's having their experience. And that individual is kind of really being rendered unto themselves, no extrasensory stimulation. You're just in a bed, eyes closed, taking a ride inside to work it out to get a level of healing, to get a level of vision, to get a level of teaching, whatever has to go down is going down. Now, as you're doing this, you're getting yourself cleaned up, you're getting yourself kind of more familiar with some of these subtle energies that are at play. And then after that point, perhaps if you so choose, you're maybe more equipped to go into one of these kind of group environments where there are a lot of things crossing over. There's a lot of entanglement. I love the way you put that. There's a lot of eating and shitting. Yes. But Perhaps we're a little bit more equipped at going into that group setting after we do some of our own personal work, because at the same time, I don't necessarily want to go into a group setting if I know I'm full of stuff, right? Because that stuff is coming out and the probability that I'm going to get someone else dirty is very high, especially if other people in that room don't have that same level of understanding around creating a personal container where they can do their own work. So I don't know, maybe there's a uh, kind of prerequisite that should be required. And I don't like using the word required, but maybe there's this introductory step that we all take prior to going into one of these group settings to make sure that we help keep the space as clean as possible. Yeah, I think I think you make a good point. It's 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 such a big bridge to gap when um, this stuff is just simply not intuitive to us as Westerners. It's just not intuitive at all. I think just an awareness that there's additional stuff to know about and consider goes a long way. Just a knowledge that there's a lot more than I need to think about here. This is not as simple as, you know, the Netflix documentary says, you eat it, it's really good. It's cool, which is also true, by the way. I'm not belittling the reality of that. Just the knowledge that there's a lot more to think about here at least sets people down the path of thinking about it, you know? And like you said, that makes perfectly good sense to me, that if you have some ability to like take a look at how this works in a clean way before entering in a space, totally logical. But if you don't, at least have an awareness that there's some interplay going on, right? There's some exchange of psycho-spiritual material that takes place in a group setting 
And even though you're not trained in it, at least make some conscious efforts to like not be gobbling everything up and, you know, nobody's perfect. But if you're aware of these things, then you have a little bit of a sense of how you're behaving. You know, it's just the problem always comes back to the fact that it's totally non-intuitive for a Western mind. Counterintuitive. Yeah. In fact, uh, the idea of thinking that I have to put my knowledge base aside right away is almost kind of a no-go for me. It's very hard to do that. And that's, as we've identified previously, is a great hindrance in this kind of spiritual pathway, this healing pathway. It's like water and oil. It just doesn't mix, but it's very hard for me to be willing to kind of put it to the side. It's even harder to think that it's in the way, that it's a hindrance in, in most capacities of life. It's a great tool, the mind, as they say, but a terrible master. And we've kind of nominated and elevated it to this place of being the boss of things. And it's the one thing that really keeps us from experiencing life as it is in its richness and vibrance and in its transcendence of the gross senses. It's like there's so much more at play. Like you identified the, the dog whistle. You know, it's definitely a great example, but there are dog whistles going around all day long, all the time, and we're just completely oblivious to it all because we're so busy up in our heads. And undoing that condition, I think, is a hell of a job, you know, a hell of a job, um, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a tough one. I think that's where the word surrender kind of comes into play. And we have to be willing to kind of surrender it all, surrender our story about it all, our story about ourselves, our accumulated knowledge. It doesn't mean we burn it in a big dumpster fire. It just means that we're putting it to the side saying, hey, this is, you know, my education up until now. And for me to continue to get educated in a more kind of profound, robust way, I have to be willing to put it to the side and not let it influence this next chapter of learning, so to speak. I just have to be willing to play the role of the student. And we get coached up to such a point where it's like, no, now you know, now you know, go out there and deploy it and be a master of your universe. And then we neglect the role of the student. We think, oh, okay, we've graduated, I'm good. I don't need to be a student anymore. But ultimately we understand that mother nature is just bringing the most profound teaching to our doorstep every morning, every breath that we would benefit ourselves greatly by understanding that's what's at play and putting our egoic sense of self to the side just for a moment to receive some of these really brilliant and profound teachings that are going to kind of usher in the next age, the next way of being. And that's the only way we can pass it down to the next generation, to our kids who are custodians of, because if we don't do that, then again, we prevent and preclude them from having access to this ancestral wisdom. And then the game's even harder for them, especially growing up in a hyper-programmed environment where every chime, bell, whistle is looking for our attention, right? Because it generates clicks and ads and dollars and keeps the wheel of capitalism rolling around. Not that that also isn't a beautiful tool, but ultimately can't be the defining tool. It's just one of. And so how can we pass some of this wisdom to our children if we don't embody it, if we don't recognize it and realize it and kind of come to our own place of experience and familiarity with some of these profound tools and these fine energies? So we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to the next generation to not only learn as much as we can and pass down as much as we can, but we don't make more of a mess out here. And that's what we find ourselves doing. We're actively looking away, right? Because we can't bear to think that we don't know the whole thing. And in this way, intellectually speaking, we get in our own way. 
it brings the wheel to a kind of not a grinding halt but a grind and we all know what a grind feels like and it's very uncomfortable and that's where we find ourselves and that's why we're looking for a little relief so here we are with plant medicines kind of being reintroduced and hitting the scene very very hard but understand the sensitivity of the space understand that you know maybe it makes sense in the early going to dip our toe into the water right and understand or at least take a peek at this dimension before we rush into it so the greater system having meta intelligence let's say to where we find ourselves now kind of really reserved itself and had safekeepers guard it from the general public for this very reason but here we are now we're at this intersection i don't necessarily think we're ready for this space but I don't think we're not ready for this space. I think we're broken enough that we need healing, but I think that we're not healed enough where we should tread lightly and be really, really cautious about how our personal development goes, especially before we tie into more of this group dynamic that's available out there for us with these uh, medicine circles that are very, very accessible and available. It's interesting that we find ourselves at this crossroads, but obviously Mother Nature felt that here and now is the right time, as always, and here we are having this conversation.